0: This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, July 17th, 2023. I'm Caleb Brown. The U.S. Supreme Court, in saying that North Carolina's top court did not overstep its bounds in striking down a congressional districting plan drawn up by state lawmakers, they rejected a supercharged version of the independent state legislature theory. Cato's Walter Olson explains the theory and the impact of the court's decision. In the context of elections, when did we first hear of this independent state legislature theory? Most
1: people who heard of it heard of it first around the 2020 election, when the question arose of whether uh, state legislatures in states that had voted for Biden could change the result, get together and um, uh, declare either that the uh, vote count was inaccurate or for some other reason, uh, throw out Biden's victory, or perhaps also declare Trump to be the winner in their state.
0: Okay. So in the con- in that context then, what did North Carolina try to use that theory in order to do? Let me step back because
1: what happened in the 2020 attempt to change state outcomes was the application of a very extreme version of a theory that comes in about six different flavors. And so I'd like to step back and talk about Uh, how people got to the theory, why not all of the versions were necessarily crazy, uh, even though the most extreme one, in my view, was crazy. Okay, well, let let me stop you there. What's the best version of that theory? The most plausible version of the independent state legislature theory uh, starts with the wording of the Elections Clause, which uh, deals with federal elections, which, of course, are mostly administered by states, but with Congress being able to set rules for them. And in Its relevant wording here says that the state legislature shall have the power to set the rules for uh, the state's elections for federal office like Congress. The argument is that by using uh, the wording state legislatures rather than states, and the Constitution does say states in many other places, but it says state legislature there, and the argument is they were trying to make a distinction there in which the uh, state legislature was being given... Uh, uh, an unusual amount of power, uh, more than it would in an ordinary uh, state situation. And to think of one analogy, if you think of the ratification of constitutional amendments, that's one where state legislatures do have a kind of special role. Um, uh, One of the questions that uh, you can uh, ask to, to, to get into this question is, can the governor veto what they do? Um, uh, the argument for, um, therefore, is not really frivolous. Um, You need more information to process it in the view of most of the Supreme Court. Uh, But it's not uh, completely crazy to think that maybe uh, the state legislature is being given a, a, a special power there that isn't part of the
0: regular legislative power. So for certain constitutional purposes, the state legislature... Uh, yeah, a lot, according to this theory, is the decider of certain questions. From there, uh, versions
1: of the uh, le- uh, theory or doctrine, as it uh, as they get a little more radical, um, consider and reject various checks on the uh, power of the state legislature. I mentioned governor's veto, so they might reject that. Uh, another one, uh, which. Might seem uh, a little bit harder to take is the power of the state courts. If the state courts uh, came in and said, "Look, there's a law saying you can't meet on Thursdays, and you did meet on Thursday," could the state judiciary uh, hold them to the law of their state? Which is a different way of saying: uh, Are they in fact bound by the law of their state? If the the law says they they can't meet on Thursday, can they just ignore that? Does the Constitution give them a right to ignore the laws of their own state? And then to get really creepy music begins playing at this point, Uh, can they ignore their own state's constitution? Because maybe the constitution limits the way in which they can address uh, uh, the enactment of election law. Can they also ignore their state constitution as well as their state judiciary and their governor? Now, at this point, you are kind of out on a limb. And even the litigants in the North Carolina case admitted that they didn't want to ask the court to go that far. Um, they said, okay, we admit, uh, state constitutions do bind the, uh, legislature even in this case, but we're going to say, um, uh, in part as a way of explaining earlier cases, the court has decided that they can bind them on procedure, but they can't bind them on substance. Um, and now we're getting into the North Carolina case in, in more detail. Let me back up and say, uh, or you can ask a question." how the North Carolina case arose.
0: For the purposes of drawing lines, uh, what version of this theory did North Carolina adopt?
1: Well, it was the critics of the North Carolina uh, Supreme Court that uh, litigated this case. And what had happened in, in North Carolina, and I'm going to simplify the details we don't need most of it, but North Carolina's had battles over redistricting Uh, cycle after cycle, and the legislature passed uh, a gerrymander. And the state Supreme Court, which at that time was considered a pretty political one in the opposite hands, i.e. Democrats, of the Republican legislature, they stepped in and said um, uh, the uh, North Carolina legislature, uh, North Carolina Constitution, in our reading, doesn't allow that gerrymander, and it does allow courts to order uh, their own districting. Uh, Now, that made it ripe for Supreme Court review because there are a couple of different questions there. First, um, uh, if you accept the idea which the North Carolina legislature strongly proposed that uh, the North Carolina Supreme Court um, was being kind of activist, it had vague language in the state constitution, but it was taking and running with that language, uh, should that be reviewed as an improper check on the constitutional bar, federal constitutional bar? Of the state legislature. What about the possible stage, uh, which might have been reached, uh, uh, of the court actually uh, drawing lines and ordering a new map into effect? Doesn't that allow the court to usurp what is pretty clearly a core legislative power there, couple the legislature completely out of a power that the con- federal constitution clearly contemplated they at least have some input on? And yeah. Um, so it teed up uh, a couple of questions like that, uh, and uh, as I say, the, the defenders of the legislature uh, admitted that there were certain ways in which the legislature would be bound. Uh, you know, if if the state constitution said they couldn't meet on a particular day, then they weren't trying to deny that. But they said, uh, if the a, a fair reading of the um, elections clause rule for the state legislature means that. We generally need to be the decider, and the North Carolina Supreme Court wouldn't
0: let us do that. All right. The Supreme Court enters the chat. What was their uh, decision, and what was the reasoning? The case was in a complicated
1: procedural posture. I know people's heart sinks when they hear that, and I'm going to skip over most of the complicated uh, procedural posture, except to say that for the three dissenters, um, they dissented on the grounds that the uh, Supreme Court shouldn't have heard the case because it was moot. And uh, and there was some plausible arguments that if the ca- court had wanted to kick the case uh, down the staircase and not decided, it could have uh, jumped on that and said it was moot or or improvidently granted, as they call it. But the uh, uh, it's important because the three dissenters were not all necessarily endorsing the uh, strong independent State Legislature doctrine, uh, in, uh, in in principle and in particular, Justice Alito Scott stopped there. He said, "Moot shouldn't have decided, and I'm, I'm not going to talk about this, the merits of the case." Uh, the so you had uh, one Alito who just uh, wanted to end it procedurally. You had two dissenters, uh, Thomas and Gorsuch, who said, "Not only is this moot, but if it weren't moot, you know there." might be reasons to take a good look at this theory because there might be something to it. And then you had six, namely the three liberals and the three swing votes, as you often see them now, uh, Chief Justice Roberts, Brett Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett, uh, joining with liberals uh, uh, with a Kavanaugh concurrence, but essentially in all important points, joining with the liberals to say, uh, look, um, uh, first... Uh, we know enough about this case, and we know enough about how the court has pa- ruled in the past to reject the extreme versions of the independent state legislature theory. They're out. We're not going to hear them again. Go home. If that if that's what you're bringing to us, there are some unresolved issues uh, in that. The um, so the sixth justice majority said, uh, "You're out of here permanently on the more extreme versions uh, of the uh, independent state legislature doctrine." We're not going to reach the question of whether the North Carolina Supreme Court went overboard because it wasn't properly presented to us. So, that part we're going to duck. And uh, as part of the package, we're going to reassuringly say that uh, there is a rule for federal courts to review what goes on in this area because if state courts go crazy, they didn't put it this way, but if state courts go crazy, all of us, the three liberals and the uh, moderate conservatives, agree that there is some role for federal courts to intervene in the future if they decide
0: state courts have gone crazy. And this is because the U.S. Constitution is the one design- is what's designating state legislatures of, as having some special authorities.
1: State legislatures are going to take the lead. Uh, that no one disputes, but uh, it's a more complicated process than that. Uh, there is a... Uh, national interest in having the overall uh, process uh, fit what the framers in Congress spelled out. And the states are not entirely on their own if they do things that, uh, for example, um, plainly violate their own constitutions or their own laws, uh, we reserve the right to step in. What does this mean for people like John Eastman? John Eastman is famous for having uh, proposed the most extreme versions of this under which a uh, state legislature could change the rules and change the outcome even after the vote was held. Now, I have to say that was bound to be a non-starter under even an extreme version because uh, the what Congress sets as the election date has to rule. Congress is supreme in this area, and election date means you can't change the rules afterward. So Eastman's theory was dead under any of the different uh, theories. Nonetheless, Eastman had advanced a very strong view of state legislatures as being laws unto themselves. That clearly ended when the Supreme Court ruled. What did Justice Thomas say in his dissent? Thomas spent a while on the historical reasons for reading it his way, and we've talked about that. Thomas also had a practical prediction, which is interesting and I think has some merit to it, about the problems the court might be creating by opening the door to uh, litigation challenges in federal court over how states run congressional elections. He said, uh, people are going to take advantage of that open door. They are going to file more suits trying to get federal court review. And we don't know where that's headed, not only as far as could there be lots and lots of suits that pose a burden to the federal courts and cause uncertainty about election outcomes, but also we don't know about the standards because the court did not spell out very clearly the standards under which the federal courts should consider those challenges. So it's something to watch.
0: Walter Olson is a senior fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and rate the Cato Daily Podcast and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.